0: Hello and welcome to the Cloud Blue Podcast, it's time for our Monday show, I'm your host Dan Rowlinson. I'm joined by a special guest, a returning face, somebody you've not seen for a while on the podcast, it's James Rushton, James, how are you pal?
1: Yeah, I've been in hibernation over the winter, enjoying us in Villa from the comfort of like a burrow, uh, yeah I'm good, enjoying it all, I'm enjoying watching from the, the, the sidelines and in the stands as Villa do exceedingly well, we're all in dreamland right, it's good. Mm-hmm.
0: And across Europe as well. You say you're in a borough, but you've been here, there, and everywhere. And we'll talk yeah. about Zunzki it. last star in a little bit as well. It's been unbelievable, hasn't it, so far this season. I, I'm still kind of struggling to wrap my head around it. We tend to say that the post-match show on a weekend, we obviously do them live and it's very raw and it's just, I've literally just got back from the game. This is what I think, uh, as I write this second and the Monday show, tends to be a bit more of a deeper analytical look at either a specific game or the wider talking points around Villa. But since Saturday... I still can't get my head around what we did last week to beat Man City and Arsenal back to back, one nils. Two very different games, but two brilliant results over the space of what four or five days. That's not an Aston win I've ever seen in my lifetime.
1: Yeah, Wednesday. Wednesday was crazy. Um, when I was trying to like write up about it after the match, I, like I felt like my IQ had dropped below deck. Like <laughs> on the taxi back, um, I've got like a method of getting back from Villa games really quickly. Uh, and it's it's been like key for these midweek key, fixtures. That. absolute but i'm not giving it away because it's mine mine alone and my girlfriend's but i digress um i'm the taxi back i couldn't get the directions to my own apartment right he was he, he's a newbie driver right he's got the map diet but I, he was asking me left or right uh mr james and i was like i couldn't tell him <laughs> i was telling him to go down the wrong way down the one-way system in birmingham city center i was getting him, him off at the wrong exits and everything and um yeah i was not it, it the delirium was very real because i i do remember going it felt like a like your you all the endorphins just poured into your head and you didn't know what to do with them hmm. um very very real madness Dan. Really, really like one of the most enjoyable matches of all time yeah. in, in my experience of following villa no stress just what
0: I against like if even if that game was like a convincing home victory against even the Newcastle game last year at Villa Park that was unbelievable wasn't it? Obviously we scored more goals that night, but we dismantled a really good side that day. But to do it against the champions, the treble winners, how good Man City are! I know you've got the little asterisks next to it for no Rodri and no Doku and no Grealish and that kind of stuff, but even so, they're a bloody good side without those, and should you know have more to give than they did that night, to con, uh, constrict them to, to two shots on target, and that was on the 11th minute in a, in a, in a double save, effectively, for Martinez, and nothing after that. Nobody that I can remember has dominated Man City's, Pep Guardiola's Man City in that way, that, that I can remember in recent years. There will be the odd occasion here and there, but... I saw this from, um, from Man City fans on social media afterwards. I know, obviously, we're going to talk about Arsenal in a little bit, yeah. but it's been a it's been a mad week. They were saying that even like the battles they've had with Liverpool over the last few years, they've never seen themselves, Man City, be dismantled by an opposition the way Villa did. Because the games against Liverpool are always fairly tight, or they'll both kind of give each other a, a really good game, and they'll have chances. For Man City to come to a, a stadium and not have any chances after the, the 10th minute is ridiculous. And that wasn't that Man City were poor or Man City had a bad day at the office. Villa made them that way. Villa's game plan dismantled Man City.
1: Yeah, I remember seeing some of the the big City versus Liverpool um, kind of decisive fixtures. And I will say that Liverpool have obviously shown massive energy and and dynamic play against City in in a way to kind of try and dismantle them. But City have always been at their best to play around, through and over that whereas i think on wednesday night there's the asterisks that they're in a bit of a rut at the moment and villa did dismantle them but man city in a rut is still enough to put yeah. away one the the, the best aston villa and Lee, yeah and even even aston villa on their day should theoretically be enough and that's a, the difference now is that it's not enough anymore yeah you have to be better um, especially at home with the way you know it's got the 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 crowd and, and the players especially players like John McGinn who show that that energy from the stands on the pitch the, the 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 passion that you you love to see can't measure it but that player who plays through the crowd or plays from the crowd and is you on the pitch mm. you know you have to you have to be better and asterisk whatever you need I don't think it necessarily needs when we still beat a very good city side you know if you if you knocked out Muhammad Ali put him down at the end of his career it doesn't matter you still knocked him out haven't you you still got the win over the the great one of the greatest footballing dynasties of all time and the greatest footballing managers of all time whatever's happening when you follow the money uh, we don't care but you know you, you you beat that that team very fairly in your house i like that mm.
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. We love it. Uh, and, and the post-match show that we did on Wednesday night was that same delirium that, that you had heading home in your in your Uber journey. It was just what the hell just happened. A record amount of views, viewers live on, on the evening. Uh, a record amount of, well, not record, but loads of people have watched that episode last week, which I'm very grateful for, by the way. And then to follow that up with Arsenal, I mean, we, me and Frankie spoke on the post-match show for Bournemouth, which was, I mean, that's turned out to be a, a good point now. And to be fair, I said at the time, it was a good point. We were losing heading into the 90th minute You get a point from there, it's a good point, whoever whoever the opposition. They've won four out of five. When you see the graphic of their recent results, it's Villa in the middle that they they dropped points to. Um, So that's a decent result. We kind of joked about, it's a massive week coming up. What's the points total? And I said, is six points impossible this week? Because it's such a big task to play Arsenal and Man City, even though it's at home and we're impeccable at home. It's still who that opposition is. It's still going to be very difficult. And Frankie said, well, it's not impossible, but if we were to do that, God forbid, Like, imagine if we did. What a statement that sends out to the league. I always felt that we might lose the Man City game and beat Arsenal. That was my prediction for the week, three points, and I'd have been delighted with that, by the way. I think, I think three points would have been a great, great return. But because we beat Man City first and kind of got that one out of the way, that sets you up and gives you the momentum to then go into the Arsenal game, which is, I felt, the easier of the two, marginally. Um, that you've got that springboard to go and say, oh, we beat Man City three days ago. Why can't we go and do that against Arsenal? So the fact that we've done it again, another 1-0, in a very different way, in a very different game, Villa were probably second best through spells of that game. We weren't, we've already spoken about this on on the post-match show, but it wasn't this attacking, dominating, free-flowing football that we used to, that we saw on Wednesday, that we didn't dominate Arsenal, we didn't blow them to pieces, but we found a way to win in a different way. And that's what the top teams do. That's what Man United under Ferguson did for 20 years. How many times have you looked at a result or looked at a game and thought, they're not even really in this, but they won 1-0 again. They're still top. They're still up in the top four. They're just relentless. They keep going. And that's what the top sides do. And that's, again, something we've not seen from Villa. You maybe put so much effort into the Man City game. That, come on, we look tired against Arsenal. We look leggy in periods after about half an hour. Some players looked like they're probably, they're probably done here. I think Emery said after that Tielemans and Bailey were like asking to be subbed off because they were knackered, which is yeah. absolutely fair enough. We have put a shift in over over two games there. But we could very easily have succumbed to that tiredness and, and lost on, on Saturday or, or, or drawn the game. So the fact that we managed to just find a way and get that kind of inner resilience to come out and get over the line and, and get the job done, shows two very different ways to win those two football matches. And that's something that I find seriously impressive from Villa.
1: Yeah, I think just, you know, the dominance on Wednesday, but also just being able to rise to what a championship, not not the championship, but a, (laughs) a title fight quality team, champions elect like Liverpool, what the levels they're able to bring to Villa Park. And you've had that game Wednesday where you've given everything and you're not able to dominate or even be very, very good. You're able just to match them and just hold them off get yeah. the goal and hold them off in a in a physical battle now some fans will, will say whatever they like about the result if it was normal circumstances they should be putting us about four 0 in february mate you know yeah they, 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 it's that we are there for the taking and we we were there for the taking since wednesday we are not anymore it's it's a it's a different game now it's changed dramatically since the Bournemouth game, the, the 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 landscape of the league, what Villa have done, what they're able to do. With City. You and know, I Emery raised the bar. He raised the bar again. He raised the bar again. He continues to raise the bar. On Saturday against Arsenal, you know, it's almost like you could forgive the the loss for what happened on Wednesday. But also there was a thing like we've beat City. We sh- we should beat Arsenal, really. Mm-hmm. And you, there's always that level of inside you that battle of with you know, we're Aston Villa. We should accept it. Versus, we could have beat them, and uh, you'd have been you'd have been almost disappointed in the sense, and you'd have had that conflict inside you, which is bizarre. To, <laughs> after everything yeah, we've been through, that, and everything we spoke about and talked about. It,
0: if we, if we had a loss against Arsenal, you'd have had that initial tinge of disappointment of what could have been, but you'd have still reflected on it of this is still a good week. Like, a lot of people were considering those two games to be free hits. To come out with six points, is it's just totally changed my perception of what can be achieved as a, as a supporter. Yeah. I think we've had far too long of kind of playing the underdog a little bit of just like, oh, we're not as good as them, so we'll probably lose. And just writing games off before a ball is even kicked. I don't think I can do that anymore. We do score predictions for every game. And I think I've predicted Villa to not lose all season. I've, I've, I've put, Most weeks on predicting Villa to win. And I always will do that. I'm a Villa fan. We go into every game and I'll make a prediction. and I back us. Some of, that, some of the time I don't believe it. And I'll just think, oh, yeah, I'll say we're going to win here because I want to be positive. And there is games. And uh, over the years there is games. You'll go into it and you think, oh, we're not as good as who we're playing today. Like we're probably going to lose, whether that's home or away. I don't think that's the mentality we should be having anymore, particularly at Villa Park. Anyone that comes to Villa Park now, I will be thinking, we'll beat these. and Because that's yeah. the, the mentality that's been instilled upon us by Unai you know, Emery, that we're, we're allowed to dream again. We're allowed to believe again. Like Kevin Martinez said in, in his post-match interview, I'm a believer, mate. Yeah, so am I now, thanks to Unai you know, Emery. Any game we play, I believe Villa can win because we've seen that this week.
1: Yeah, and if, if Villa, say, were to lose a game going forward... <laughs> um you, You'd be reasonably accurate if you, if you held the belief that that they'd lost fair and square. They weren't robbed, or you know, but like I think to beat a Villa team now you have to be right up for it. And mm. you know, you, you you probably looked at that Bournemouth game where we weren't at it, but like you said, Bournemouth's form matches Villa's entirely. If we talk about it, it have been great. That point at Bournemouth looks looks brilliant, like you said. But a team coming to Villa Park will have to raise those levels significantly. So the, the hope is, it, you know, if if that incredible 15 and counting sequence at home ends, it, it ends ideally fairly and squarely without, without Villa being robbed, which isn't, or, or just battered, play it fair and square. Um, <laughs> it's going to be an
0: know. interesting dynamic when we lose that game at home, because let's face it, we're going to lose a game at home at some point. Uh, I think we've matched... Pep Guardiola's record for Man City. I think they've won 15 home games in a row before. I think the record might be 24 off the top of my head. I have seen it somewhere. I think Sky posted it on, probably on Saturday night. Um, I'll try and find that if, when you answer me in a second. Are we going to beat the record of 24? It's going to be a huge task to do that. Um, but again, like I could just say I, I, I fancy us to beat anybody at Villa Park. The next couple in particular to round off 2023 at home are Sheffield United and Burnley, which Come on, they're both in the bottom three. Like, if you're not predicting Villa to win both of those and extend this winning run at home to 17, you'd be a, you know, you'd be going against the bookies not to predict Villa to win. But I'm fully aware of how football works that this brilliant home record com- could come to a close against Sheffield United on a Friday night, and they it was one nil, and we go, Christ, that's annoying. But I, I hope that the dynamic that when that does happen is not that, oh, what an opportunity missed, oh, what a terrible defeat, oh, let's say what Sheffield United, oh, I'm going to boo that. I hope we get a, round, a standing ovation from every single corner of the ground when when we, when we lose that home game because of what they've done before it.
1: Yeah, 15, Like uh, I saw a lot of people just marvelling at the 15 and, and rightly so, but there's also people going, you know, this can continue for ages. And I think you have to appreciate the fact that 15 is wild for Villa. Yeah. Wild. The fact that we've never had a, a massively deep team of, top-tier talent that you can rotate and just coast through Europe, coast through the Premier League games, yeah, almost automatically like a, a, Man, a Man City in their day, by the way, not on, not on Wednesday. But the, the fact that Villa have never had that kind of ability to do so, and even quite now, that the depth maybe isn't there, and they're still doing it, 15 since um, the Arsenal game in, in, in February and and counting, you, you do think, how far can this go? is a lot, though. Like, 15 yeah. is... <laughs> 15 is... Almost the ninth, full 19, you get at home for yeah. the season. 24 is a season and then some. And that is, I don't want to say it's beyond us because you'd have thought 5, 6, 7, 10, 12, 15 would be beyond us. It does max out at some point, And that's, that's the reality of the situation. But until it does, no excuses not to be an absolute dreamland and appreciate what's going on. No reason to complain. No reason to boo. No, 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 no. Definitely it's not. just enjoy... You know, people behind me still moaning at, um, at the Arsenal yeah. game. Like, this is what you get when you got no right wing. John McGinn's on the... Uh, it's like, <laughs> Guys. Dude, dude, 15 and you've paid... I know I'm not a fan of, like, pay, ticket prices versus quality. But you've, you know, I feel like the money's worth argument is very much at its, like, maximum <laughs> right now.
0: Yeah, yeah, Matt said this on, on Saturday. <laughs> like, I know the ticket prices have gone up. We've won every game. Like, <laughs> you know, you, you, we're getting what we paid for, essentially. Uh, I have found that the statistic is obviously Aston Villa now with 15. Pep Guardiola did 15 uh, with Man City in 2023. Uh, Man United did 19 under Ferguson in 2010, 11. Man City again under Mancini did 20 in 2011, 12. And Liverpool under Klopp have got the record with nine in 1920 in the 2019-20 season uh, with 24 wins. Uh, of the, across the calendar years. Obviously, there's more than uh, 19 home games there, so it's not the 2019-20 season. But from, from 2019 yeah. to 2020, they won 24 consecutive home wins. Um, what'll be interesting is if Villa can't extend the winning run, it'd be very good to have an unbeaten run, at least. If we are yeah. to drop points at home, you draw, and you just keep an unbeaten run going. Um, when we did our predictions in the, in the summer, we all talked about how important the home form was going to be. And I said, you want to be winning, what, 14, 15 games at home and, and going as close to unbeaten as you can. Mm-hmm. Villa are obviously, on course at the moment to do that, having won all eight games at home. And you can set up a great season by having a great foundation at home by winning the vast majority of them. Um, so we're on 15 at the moment. Sheffield United would be game 16. Burnley would be 17. Then Newcastle would be 18 which is a, a night game, by the way, quarter to eight on in, in, at the end of January. That's tasty, isn't it? 19 would be Man United at Villa Park in February, which, I Emery's done it before, but again, two big tasks there to extend it past 17 to have it, having to beat Newcastle and Man United. Forest would be 20, Spurs would be 21, Wolves would be 22, Brentford would be 23, Bournemouth would be 24 to equal the record, and then Chelsea at the back end of April would be 25 to have to break it. So we've got to win every game at home till the end of April to uh, to match to beat the record for um, successive home wins, which again feels very very unlikely. But no, weirdly, as mad as this week has been, not impossible because as we've said, nothing is now impossible given what United you know, has done.
1: It's a winning run, not an unbeaten run. So yeah, getting. Imagine Sheffield United score two two good goals that you know set up solid. They're fighting for their lives. They score two fair goals. Villa fight hard tactically back. They get two back. Last minute last minute equaliser. Brilliant game. You thought you, you know you, you went from no points, disappointingly no points to, to to gaining a point against a team who have more to lose than Aston Villa. And you're a, you're, a, you're, a, you're, a, you're a winning streak's home, but your unbeaten streak carries on. And it's like, how do you feel
0: then? I think you've just got to be proud. When the day comes that Villa lose at home or drop points at home, you've just got to be proud and, and take stock and remember what the hell just came before it, that you've been yeah. to Villa Park or hopefully that you've been to Villa Park for 15, 16 games prior and saw Villa win every single time. And you've got to yeah, think, you know that, okay, we've lost today, but Christ, look what we've just done.
1: Start the next one at Burnley.
0: Exactly, yeah. Start a new winning run. I think that's 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 the thing, yeah. If you if it comes to, a, to an end, but then you go and win the next five or six in a row and you keep doing that, you're going to be very good, aren't you? Right, let's move on to some questions then. We've done 15 minutes or so of uh, Arsenal and Man City as a bit of a roundup. Uh, we're now going to move into audience questions as we do every Monday. So thank you very much for people getting involved over the weekend. Anthony says, we've rode our luck a few times this season, especially over the last five, Spurs, Bournemouth and Arsenal. What is top of Unai's list in terms of performance improvement for the second half of the season? Well, It's mad, isn't it, to think that we're talking about performance improvement given we're third in the league and we've just done what we've done this week. But I suppose the easy answer is pick up a couple more, pick up a couple of more wins on the road and I know we've just had two of them, but more clean sheets as well is obviously going to be very useful.
1: Yeah, um, I, th- I think you go back to that Bournemouth game and how people took it in a very Jekyll and Hyde way in that it was you no know, points lost, first points gained. I think hindsight shows it being a an extremely, extremely good point. Um, but in the in the away form over the last eight games, Villa are ninth. That's okay. You know, yeah,
0: it's okay. And it's okay given how good the home form is.
1: Yeah, and what separates ninth from top is five points. So a win, two wins. That's that's all you have to add to get top so Villa are like in the mix it's their home form that's not it's not carrying them but the home form's giving them such a good foundation to kind of find their feet away no there there are only two two free results from turning that around so I've got absolutely no worries you just got to get maybe pick up more draws and losses maybe you can't yeah. find the win but maybe you need to find a way to just stop the loss um that's probably it for me but uh, again, performance is is hard. It's it's just the fitness of trying to keep up with these games, maybe. Yeah, yeah. That's the real problem. You know, what touch would, you know, but injuries happen. Football is relentless. They will happen in training, in match. Just depends on who they happen to and how, how Villa can respond because injuries to that midfield would be very tough, I think, to take.
0: As good as Spurs were for the first seven or eight weeks of the season, they get ravaged by injuries and suspensions and go you know, without a win for three or four. And obviously they beat Newcastle over the weekend pretty convincingly. But these things happen in football and, and you know eventually they are going to happen to Villa. Suspensions are going to happen. Douglas Luiz missing Brentford is a big loss and maybe we lose against Brentford because we don't have as much control without someone like Luiz in there. But if Villa can manage those situations like suspensions and be lucky when it comes to being injury free, there's absolutely no reason why Villa don't have the quality on the pitch and the management team off it to mount a top four charge or a title push or whatever you want to call it. Um. So yeah, good times are rolling for Villa. Plenty of questions to go, um, but we're going to take a little break here so I can refill my coffee cup. Um, so we'll be back after this short break. Yeah, good idea, mate. Okay, back with the questions then. We'll stick with some serious football ones for now. Uh, Jay says, Is Konza, Carlos and Paul Torres more effective than Cash, Konza and Pau Torres? Which kind of system do you prefer more? Concer pushed over to right back with Carlos in there? Or Cash out wide and
1: Konza back in his better position at centre-half? It's a crap answer, but why not both? We're a very flexible team. You know, Cash can look weak and perhaps overly aggressive, as Spurs fans may attest to. On a few games and be caught out, but then he comes in against Arsenal and he's a man mounting, throwing himself into challenges. You know, giving the energy at the back. Um, I, I'm easy. Like people don't like seeing Kanza at right back, but it's not really. You know, Villa Villa are doing their a very own their own thing. It's not the very mm-hmm. traditional kind of positions. It's not because Kanza's at right back on the lineup, but he is simply cemented at right back and thus right wing back, right wing. No, he's filling in at centre back. He's doing all sorts of things. It's very it's a very flexible system. You see how far Torres gets forward. Is he just a centre back? No, he's not just a centre back. Um, It's a flexible system. I would say defensively, you probably expect more solidity out of Cash. uh, No, sorry, uh, Conza. Torres. Too many similar names there to be thrown out. But with with Matty Cash again, you get the the energy to attack a team. Um, it's not kind of more so sponging them up and, and playing out through the back. You saw those two kind of in um in the Arsenal match, you know, kind of, there's only so much for so long you can invite that pressure and, and play out of it. Um, Arsenal were, were were kind of making the game their own until Emery made his changes and they bring kind of in, who, who's been who was very solid in that match. And yeah. Cash provides that bit of energy and, that, and probably that, that little bit of recklessness you probably needed. To just make a, a snap decision and, and act on it, um, to just give Arsenal, you know, some some cause for concern for going down that side. Mm. The, solid, the solidity in in the form of the Conza.
0: Yeah, it's horses of course, isn't it? Sometimes you want that extra solidity. Sometimes you want cash bombing forward and overloading that right hand side. I prefer Conza playing centre back than right back because he's a better centre half yeah. than he is full back. But obviously, he's, he's dropping into a more central position anyway. Um, but when he's tasked with tracking the winger and running the, running the channel as a right-back. I prefer Cash doing that because he's more mobile, has more energy, and Contra is a better defender. But one-on-one defending from Contra, that, that slide tackle against Man City uh, last week, unbelievable. Yep. And if he's at centre-half, he's more likely to be doing things like that. Ricardo asks, pick one player from the current squad to sign a lifetime contract. And of course, they actually stay for life. Uh, the release clause is 500 billion. Who are you picking? <laughs> you never want to see leave Aston Villa.
1: There is three three instant names like immediately to that question so this is going to be difficult one was john mcginn for Mm -hmm. real like he's mr like there is there are two Mr. and villas in my three names but john mcginn is mistrust like he's the club on the pitch the fan Mm -hmm. on the pitch and he's brilliant he just gets getting better right you write him off and he gets better the energy People can't deal with him. How can you not deal with him? Just Obviously, keep him. Like we,
0: just getting in. We said on Saturday, like as much as he's not known for putting his backside into people and holding the ball up and holding the player with him, like Dan Byrne for the, the Newcastle game last year, backing into somebody and holding the ball, he looks stronger this year moving with the ball as well. And his, his physical upper body strength to hold people off as he's running seems to be improved. I don't know if that's just a, a placebo of that Villa... Were, more fluid with the ball now, we're seeing more of it, but I was just associating McG- McGinn's strength with his kind of hold-up and backing into people. I now associate McGinn's strength with dribbling with the ball and holding off players and brushing past them. That, that's something that I've not felt like I've seen from him before.
1: Yeah, it's like the game's a Rubik's Cube to him and he just does hmm. it. Like, he can't do anything else except the Rubik's Cube. He's got like the one really good move. Um, <laughs> nah, he's brilliant. Like He's just so unorthodox and simple as a footballer. Like He's yeah, not so doing to anything watch. Very hard, but like when three people press him, that's when um, the situation becomes hard, and he finds a way out. It's
0: it's he's doing difficult things, but he makes it look easy
1: Yeah, I mean he's definitely one. And I, I was I haven't put Douglas Luiz in there because I don't want to have four names and be an idiot. The second one was Martinez. Like, mm, I, yeah if McGinn left, I think you know he fits a profile for a lot of good teams that would want him and could probably spend a lot of money on him. Louise is, ve- is very similar, but he's more attractive. Um, not not in, the, in how Harry. He, <laughs> <guess. laughs> like he, he is. It's, I'm sorry, John. Um, but I think he he fits a pro. If, if John McGinn fits a profile for that amount of teams, Douglas Louise probably fits it for that mm. amount of teams. Um, Martinez can fit in any team, which is yeah. scary. Yeah. Um, and and there's a very real. I think you know he's very cemented and loves the club, but his ambition is is so high and he's got a chance to do great things here with Villa and I'll never ever want to be in that category of people who sell Villa players but Martinez I I guess what I'm trying to say is Martinez is probably one of the most scared of losing because I feel like he's you can I think you can get a better goalkeeper but a better personality yeah he's got the best of everything hasn't he I think
0: with his ambitions if Villa were to win Let's say over the next three years, Villa win the FA Cup and the Europa League, for example. That'd be amazing. I'd love that. Yeah. We've not won a trophy in my lifetime. So to win two in the next three years would be unbelievable. One of them, a European title as well. For Martinez, I don't think that's enough. I think he wants to win leagues. And Villa, yeah. obviously, yeah, at the moment, will win a title race. And so maybe in the next three years, we'll still be in title races and we'll be competing for the title genuinely. And if that if that's the case, that probably is enough for Martinez. But he wants to win leagues. He's won the World Cup. He wants to win the Champions League. That's a big, big ask for Villa to do that in the Martinez's career that he's got left, which he's still got what seven, eight years at the top level anyway. Yeah. But he could do another couple of years at Villa, have those FA Cup and Europa League, and think, oh, this is pretty good, and then go to Real Madrid and win the absolute lot.
1: Uh, it's that it's that whole Jack Grealish thing of like this this player's cemented to the club. He, I feel he may leave at some point, but when he does, I'll happily follow him elsewhere. That hasn't, for me personally, that hasn't come to fruition. I, I see Grealish, I appreciate him as a player, but that connection isn't there with mm-hmm. Martinez. I think with what he's done, the fact that the fact is he's been declared the world's best player at Villa twice now, right? in, 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 in the goalkeeping. Uh, he, he won it this the Yashin Award this year, and he won FIFA's the best. Oh yes, and yeah, yeah. I'm yeah, sure of last year different awards, by the way, but still, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, the be-
0: best, the, the FIFA Pro Best Men's yeah. Team or whatever, yeah, yeah.
1: The fact he's still at Villa and they, how bad they were, not under Emery, of course, when he was playing the World Cup, but how bad they were perceived as a team mm. um, at that point, and the fact he's still here that, that blows my mind. That that's, that's like a situation that is borderline impossible, because clubs, you know, that happens in say 2004. Or two, you know, t- uh, two thousand two, two thousand and six. Sorry, that happens. Then he's gone. January in a bit, you know, doesn't happen. The fact he's still here is 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 wild.
0: I'd probably be tempted by Douglas Luiz, but Martinez is a, is a brilliant shout, as we've just talked about. So uh, probably one of those two for me. Uh, the AVSC faithful's got two questions. We'll do them in, in two separate ones, though. Who is the most underrated Villa player at the moment? That's a brilliant question because it feels like all the players are rated because of how well we're doing but is the one person consistently who goes under the radar a little bit
1: i think ollie watkins is still underrated if i'm completely honest you think not in our own fan base i think actually i do think in our own fan base as well sometimes there's a whole myth of ollie can't finish he does this he does that he doesn't i don't think he gets the, the 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 recognition he deserves in england i think there's things that separate him and Haaland. i think Watkins do, isn't always in that natural poachers area to just get mm. the easy goals. I think Oli Watkins has to work very hard for his goals. I do think he's very underrated. <laughs> like I think you you will always be the person, the position people want to replace. And mm. I think he's he's good. He's sound.
0: There was there was a comment on on our YouTube, I think, after uh, Arsenal, bearing in mind we just won both games this week. Ollie Watkins has only got eight goals in sixteen games. That's not good enough. It's- so I a minute, <laughs> just he you know, so <laughs> yeah. didn't score it's a goal every two games that's pretty good if he does that over the course of a season he gets 16-17 goals in the league yeah. you know, it's a pretty good output for a Villa striker and the rest of the team is scoring goals for fun so it's not really on Ollie Watkins' shoulders to have to score twenty-five league goals to get Villa somewhere. That the goals come from elsewhere, and the goals from, come from Ollie Watkins' build-up play as well. He's—you might know, not necessarily get the assist sometimes, but he's involved in a move that leads to a goal elsewhere. So you right, to, to an extent, he's underrated, but it's, it's difficult for me to actually give him an underrated tag, given he's yeah, in the England squad and he's scoring the goals he is. I was going to go with Luca Dean. as a very obvious Ooh. answer, but somebody who was probably going to be going out the door. This, this window if Moreno didn't get injured at the back end of this season, I think Dean leaves because I think Moreno is the number one and maybe we sign a younger uh, understudy to be Moreno's replacement in a, in a couple of years' time. He's 30, isn't he, Moreno? I think 31. But Luca Dean's come in and, and kept the shirt and made the shirt his own now. M- Moreno is fit and available. And obviously it's going to be Moreno's shirt to lose now because Dean's suspended for Brentford. So if Moreno comes in and plays well, it's, More- it's Moreno's shirt for, for the foreseeable. That would have been the plan. But, you know, Emery signed him in January. He was his man. He changed the way we played down that left-hand side with Jacob Ramsey. And Luka Dean probably didn't fit into that. He's not as forward-thinking as as um, Moreno. He doesn't get to the bar line and cut it back like Moreno does. He he'll sit further, uh, a little bit deeper, and uh, with the time and space on the ball, he can find a find a great delivery. By the way, Luka Dean, he can put the ball on a sixpence from from, from deep. Uh, and that's that's vastly underrated and something we've seen a lot this season already. But he doesn't play in the same way that Moreno does. So Villa don't play in the same way going forward and, and making chances. Yep. I think it would have been very easy just to write Dean off and say, he's, he's, he's a little bit older, he costs a lot of money, he's on high wages. If we can get rid of him, we should. I don't think anyone would have been expecting him to be involved in the same way that he has been this year. And it goes back to the same narrative that we said all along. If you'd have told us in that season preview back in July, August, whenever it was, that we'd be without Mings, Moreno and Buendia and Ramsey for the bulk of the season, you'd be thinking, well, that massively affects us. Luka Dean's going to have to play 15, 16 games. Like, what the hell? That's no, that's no good. Like, that's going to be a serious problem for us. And it hasn't been. And Villarreal, where they are without all those players and having people like Luka Dean step up. Um, so... Maybe underrated isn't isn't the right word, but he's the one that jumps out to me as the obvious. Probably doesn't get the credit that he should have had this season. The AVFC faithful second question was, Brussels spouts on a Christmas dinner, yes or no?
1: Yeah, if they're done right, everyone just boils them. It's nasty crap. Roast they're them with some good olive oil and garlic and soy sauce or whatever. Just do something. Put bacon. Just do something. Don't boil them. If you boil them, and this put is, them on your dinner.
0: This is my point, though. If you've got a... You use good olive oil and butter and whatever else and bacon. It's not the sprout anymore. Is it? It's all the other stuff that's good. It's the bacon that's good and the butter's good and the flavors that you put with the, the vegetable itself is still horrible. You just. Yeah, that's what like saying. To like you can just ch-
1: you can't just have a chicken breast raw. You got to use stuff to make
0: it. Well, not raw, but like if you had if I had a carrot <laughs> on its own, I would eat it and be pretty happy with that. If I had a, a if you a parsley, some kind of flavors there, but just just a sprout on its own is terrible. Whatever you do. it's only good because the other things you've just added to the dish has made it good
1: no they are like a i would never choose to have them but people's perception of them is because they are made crap if you boil if you didn't season them and boiled them versus didn't season them and roast them like the difference is we'll be out of this world you still got to like add the levels to it you got to make it it's christmas dinner it's not you know, it's not mashing something together on a Tuesday after work. you got to put some effort. you got to put some graft and passion into your work. Oh, I love that. Some if you're graft boiling and spoon, passion you into your sprouts. If you're boiling your Christmas Day vegetables, step.
0: Yeah, I get like that. That, that's so Tim Sherwood. You've got to put graft and passion into your, into your sprouts. That's James Madison being the main man at a Sunday Carvery. day that is. You've got to put passion into your sprouts. No, no, passion into your
1: cooking, into your life. If you haven't got it at the, the kitchen, where is it coming?
0: Yeah, all right, fair enough. Uh, well, let's move on. Uh, back to football from Matt. He says, with the turnaround Emery has resided over at Villa, do you think it's possible for any other team to experience the same rise using the same core as they have now if they get the right manager in place? which I think is a really interesting question and one that I'm not really going to delve in too much to because I don't really care about any other sides. But it's an interesting point that you kind of look at the manager being an easy change to make to turn a club's fortunes around, that you know, Man United obviously continuously struggled under whoever they have, get rid of Ten Hag, get someone else in, they'll magically be better. And it doesn't always work like that. With Emery's case, what he's done to come in last year with Villa 17th and basically do what he's done this year with effectively the same group of players No Moreno, who was a signing he made. He's not been available. He's got Pau Torres and Diaby, who are new signings this season. Diaby's been on the bench the last couple of games. But besides that, the game was struggling under Gerrard. Douglas Lewey started the season on the bench. Ollie Watkins was started the season on the bench last year against Bournemouth. It was a toss-up between Danny Ings and, and, and Ollie Watkins, what, what a terrible comparison that is. I was fully on board with it. Maybe this is McGinn's last season. I don't think he's good enough for the Premier League. Never mind top three in the Premier League. So for Emery to do what he's done with effectively the same group of players, I don't think many other managers do do that. And also, let's not forget the injuries we've had this season He's doing what he's doing this season. We almost a lesser squad than last season to have no Mings and no Brendy Ramsey. Jacob Ramsey's barely kicked a ball this year. How good is he over the last uh, over the last yeah. 18 months or so? So to do what he's done is, is is next level. And I don't think you'll see many managers go into the clubs that that they get to. Potch at Chelsea, perfect example. Good manager in his own right, yeah, probably. But he's talking about needing more signings in January. Just the answer is yeah. oh, we just need to spend more money. Get the Not best the out of what you've got. Yeah, good coaching is going to turn a club around. And honestly, I, I I think Matt's hit the nail on the head that the turnaround that Emery's done is remarkable in its own right. And I don't think you'll see many managers do that, that you'll just they'll go into a club and fix what is already there rather than just go, well, we'll spend here, we'll spend here, we'll spend there.
1: So, yeah, I think it's a very hard question to answer because I think Emery, you can't compare anyone to Emery because he stands alone hmm. as as the, the transformational job. I think this season there's a few... Interesting teams that don't—they don't compare to Emery and what he's done at Villa at all. But there's two teams that that excite me as a neutral, and I think one of them now is Bournemouth. I—I mm. I, in my season preview, I predicted them for the drop because of the changes and maybe adapting, and they have got that under quickly, under control. They're the—if the, Filler are the form team in 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 the league, Bournemouth up there as well. Like, yeah, yeah, it's, yeah. it's thirteen points between them, and Liverpool's on top. 14. The job he's done, um, has done at, at, at Bournemouth is extremely good. I don't, it's not going to be the same as jumping from you know 16th to battling for the title within just over a year. Um, but from definite relegation to being extremely exciting, potentially a, a wild card, um, later in the season, very the way they play and take the teams, um, especially how they press that. At, at, Old Trafford, brilliant. also, like another card shot is Everton. For me, the situation yeah, there they're in—very well, yeah. Ten point deduction—that marks you straight off. You know, ten point deduction in any league of it, and most teams is a death sentence. Like mm. you don't—it's very hard mental barrier to get around. Everton are cruising in, in in a really, really good way. They're the same form as Villa and Bournemouth, and they've probably got the biggest millstone around their neck. With that, for having had that 10 point deduction, and they're already fighting their way out of it very well. So,
0: yeah, they'll, they'll, they'll be safe this year. Everton by by quite comfortably. I think they'll probably finish on know, 12th or 13th, maybe at a push, just given that, that 10 point uh, deduction. They're on 13 at the moment. They'd be on 23, obviously, without it, putting them 10th a point behind West Ham, three points behind Brighton, seven points behind Man United. No, four points behind Man United. Quite I mean. That have done a very, very good job, or well, Deutsch and the players have done a very good job to be at that point in the season, given the, the last couple of years they've had. Uh, Luton, Burnley, Sheffield United will be the three that go. I think. I don't think that they've got the quality to to get anywhere near uh, being safe. Still a lot of talk about like how Villa are safe this year because they're on thirty five points, which is the total we had the year when we survived under Dean Smith on the last day, which is mad, isn't it? That we've we've got as many points already. A I, good I think we're safe now. Like the, yeah. I don't think any of the, the yeah. teams in the bottom three will get to 35. Never mind, 30. I, 40, I, 40, sorry.
1: I did the math yesterday. I haven't got it on me to, to figure it out. But the points of the game now is very good. I think you get like 81 points which or 83 points maybe. Which yeah, 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 yeah. W- it wins you the title in one season In since Google tells me. Which that, is that Leicester's one. Yeah, yeah, so most seasons you're gonna get second or third out of that, which is whatever. That's brilliant, isn't it? Um, I mean, if you're talking in title race, you'd probably be disappointed, but
0: um, that's only because of the standards that Liverpool and Man City have set over the last few years. Though that exactly. you need ninety odd points doing the league, hundred almost.
1: <laughs> yeah, um, but if you kind of went back to the the era where Dean Smith was sacked and Gerard joined, and you applied that points per game onto our our current one, I think you still get like sixty one. Which is where we finished last season. So even if you just dropped off completely, yeah. you still end up where they were last season, which is that's the biggest achievement of all is you could essentially stop and just finish exactly what <laughs> the, the historic season you had last season. You could still achieve that by just taking your, you crashing the car.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Got, yeah.
1: Which it's we don't right, want man. to do, obviously. Yeah. But that's we the fall off a cliff of. We what...
0: still have one of our best seasons there, basically, <laughs> given the start. Yeah.
1: Which
0: is mad. I think it's, I don't know what our record points is off the top of my head, but I saw it recently. Is it something like 64 points in the Premier League, I think? So we need something like another 30 to to have our best Premier League season ever in terms of a points return. I think that's right. Uh, I could be wrong, though. Right. Let's move on. I've got a couple of questions to go. Uh, this one's from Gary. Who says, should Villa look to spend relatively big in January to try and secure a top four slot or keep hold of the money until the summer and hope that the current squad can get us there and then purchase somebody in the summer when more top draw players may be available, especially if Villa have qualified for the Champions League? Now, we did a video with Dan Bardell last week, I think, or maybe the week before, of him saying... Villa won't sign anyone in January. There's no need to, that we've got a good enough squad as is. There was some backlash to that saying, what do you mean? We need a striker, we need this, we need a backup goalkeeper, we need a right back, etc, etc. But his point was that you don't upset the apple cart by signing somebody and upsetting the dressing room or changing things and and that kind of thing, which I get, I understand that argument. However, that was before we beat Arsenal and Man City in a week and are genuinely in a title challenge until we're not. I'm not saying we're going to win it, but if Villa are still... I mean, look, the the back end of 2023, there's four winnable games here to play. And Villa could genuinely be right up there come the start of the new year. If that is the case, have things changed? That Villa think, OK, we need a £40 million winger to come in and secure what we're doing here? Or do you stick with what you've got and, and kind of make that gamble on the summer instead?
1: I, I'm with the camp, if you make the, the gamble in summer, I don't think... I don't necessarily think that... A title, fight, a title race for Villa. God, God, what are we talking about? Is defined by what you do in in the January because the players that we have are the ones who have decimated Manchester City, mm, yeah. and I don't. They are not easily replaced at this point because of the the. the is it just a bit of depth? Do you think that you sign a, a left
0: winger to rotate with Zaniolo and Tielemans and that kind of thing? Maybe yeah. like if the right player is there.
1: I think it's like you. I my ideal January is probably the really dorky one of players in the mould of John Duran, who mm. are very exciting for the future and can come in, do a bit of a job now. But you're very much looking at next season and the season after to build that that depth organically, the quality there. So you don't have to make the panic buys in the future. You know, mm. the, the most de- disappointing thing for Villa this season would be to sustain a number of injuries, panic buy, replace them because they want to stay in the title fight. Then you've got a really... Everton-like squad balance issue, where you've got a lot of expensive players that you can't use, and mm. you are your you, your project is has taken away. So because you you got too excited too quickly, you hit the button, and instead of wondering whether you should have done it or you should have just stayed back, stayed to the plan. The plan is working um, as far as I'm cons- concerned. Talking about aiming for sixth, seventh, fifth this season. Now you're talking about aiming for fourth. It's how you can keep up those levels do better next season, do better the season after, add to that depth in a, in a kind of organic and quality way. Hmm.
0: Uh, Dan says, if we can replicate the same points, 10 out of 12 in the next four games, what position will we be? So the next four games we've just touched on, I think they're all very winnable. Uh, Sheffield United at home, Brentford away, uh, Man United away on Boxing Day and Burnley to end the season at home, to end the calendar year at home. Four very much winnable games there. Obviously, you look at it as potential banana skins, Man United away, as much as they're uh, not the the greatest team in the world anymore, still find ways to win somehow. Uh, the home games you look at as being very winnable, but, I don't know, Friday night against Sheffield United, maybe they do something out of nowhere and, and upset us all, though I don't really see it. If Villa are to get nine points out of 12 from those even, they're going to be firmly within the top four still, uh, whether they're still being talked about in a title race or not will be dependent on what Liverpool, Arsenal and Man City do effectively but next uh, the weekend before Christmas is, is the potentially interesting one that then obviously play Sheffield United at home on the Friday night Liverpool and Arsenal play each other on the Saturday or the Sunday one of those at least is going to be dropping points if Villa have beaten Sheffield United and say that's a nil-nil draw but look, could be top at Christmas
1: yeah I think it, it is very dependent on, on what happens to the two teams above us and the idea of them dropping points a lot more than when they're playing each other is very hard to imagine, despite what mm. we have just done over the last week. Not every team's Aston Villa, though, unfortunately. I think if you were to hold down third and build a buffer there, that would be very solid. but I think 10 probably gets you, probably does get you second, if I'm honest. Mm. I think, especially with the fact Liverpool and Arsenal play each other, and you said one team's got to drop points. If it's Arsenal that drop points, second. Liverpool yeah. drop points. You know, you're, you're probably still third, really.
0: How do you think those four games go for us? If you have to do like Sheffield United win, Man United draw, like how do you actually have the, the fixture down for you?
1: With the way it's going, and this is no disrespect to Sheffield United and Burnley, um, because every every game is a tough game, really. In reality, isn't it? Sheffield United's got to be a win. Man United's a tough one because it could go either way. Bournemouth did a job on them. Our away form doesn't say win; it says draw. So probably go for I'll a. A draw, if I'm honest. Was it Brentford was in there, wasn't it? Brentford's the first Brentford one.
0: Brentford-wise next this weekend. Yeah. yeah
1: um, no, no Louise, no Dean. I think that's a draw. It, it, it's a really the question if we can can correct their away form really quickly to be not just mid-table away, but to be top-tier away. If they do that, that's total title challenge. Bang on. But to do that, you've got to beat Brentford. You've got to beat Man United. I think those are tough tasks. I can't remember us being brilliant ever away at Brentford.
0: No, this It's difficult.
1: Newton. It's a new season though. Um, I would probably, I'll go for a plucky win there. Actually,
0: you've changed your tune in about a minute. No, a no,
1: I'm thinking about it, mate. I think you, you get the win there. You run a high, yeah. Let's let's go for Let's go for a one-nil. Then we go win at Sheffield United, draw at Man United, and win at Burnley.
0: Okay, so ten points.
1: Yeah,
0: I've done it. So that's the form form we've just done. Yeah, I think it's definitely doable. <laughs> I also see a scenario where we win all four. Because we're, yeah. we're that good at the moment. It's obviously things have to go your way. It goes without saying. Um, but I also see a scenario where, where we get nine. Because we lose to Man United because they could easily just do that and beat us 1-0 and, and really frustrate the life out of us. And it's still Man United, Old Trafford, who somehow keep getting wins out of nowhere. Like, I feel like Man United has been terrible. But they're, they're sixth. I think the important thing is, regardless of all this Tartare stuff of where where Villa might be at the start of the new year, if there's still a eight-point swing to dropping out of the top five, that's unbelievable. If we're doing what Newcastle did last year and we're just always somehow in the top four because we just keep winning enough games and even if we do lose to Brentford, we go, then go and win the next three and you just keep finding that way to be to be resilient with it. Um, I think that's the key thing. Can we build a bit of a gap behind us rather than looking too far ahead? I think eventually Liverpool, Arsenal or Man City will win the league. I actually think it might be Liverpool this year. Um, I think I did go with Man City at the start of the season but I think Liverpool might do it i have really, got more than enough to be the fourth best team this year, and possibly the third best team. To be honest, I won't. I won't put against us finishing third. Um, I've certainly got no doubts about us dropping out of the top six uh, 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 this season. Might even be like that. We don't even drop down at all. Never mind, like at the end of the season, I feel like we might not drop out of out of the top six all season now, given the points gap we've already got. Now, you're talking about an eight point swing. For of effect, we've got to lose three games while the other teams are around and win all three. Are going to lose yeah. three games in a row at any point?
1: No. Not if there's a home that. game in there.
0: <laughs> exactly. Like we don't we don't we've done that once under Emery and we've not done it since. Every time we lose, we bounce back with a with a win generally. So we might lose to Man Man United, but we'll win the next two or three after it because that's just yeah. what we do. And if we do that, we'll be in the top four. It's literally as simple yeah. as that.
1: Easy. I mean, if you pick up two the two wins at home, no matter how those two away games go, I feel like you can still feel good about that. I mean if yeah, away, Man one. United away, it's tough. Um these things are going to happen Villa aren't necessarily that they are performing elite but are they genuinely elite and I think what separates that from Villa is can you beat those two teams away Hmm. maybe maybe not
0: And the final question of the show comes from David as we look ahead to Zerinsky-Mostar very quickly. We've uh, been going on for quite a while this morning, so we'll we'll try and wrap up shortly. Uh, Two big games this week on the back of an exhausting schedule recently. How far do you think Emery Emery will go with resting players at Zerinsky-Mostar to ensure we are as fresh as possible for a tough away game at Brentford? Personally, I think we should beat Zerinsky regardless, and I agree with that. I think they only really need a point, do they, to top the group? So, I mean, you could rotate all 11 players and still get enough to nick a draw, but I do think we'll win regardless. Um, so, I would rotate as heavily as possible, to be honest. Maybe Martinez still has to play. Olsen uh, wasn't on the bench, was he, for Arsenal? I'm not sure why. So, yeah. I saw somebody say that his partner might have had a baby recently, so maybe that's why. I've seen a couple of people say that like, because Louise and Dina are suspended from Brentford, so obviously they'll be rested at the weekend. Do they then play against Mostar? I don't know whether it's necessary to be just Do they even need to travel to give them an actual re- week's rest, do nothing this week and be fresh and fit for training next week as we build up to Sheffield United? What would you do? You're going to Zorinski, aren't you, yeah. to, to, to actually see the game. To play you... Full,
1: full t- strength team, Emery, give me a shot.
0: <laughs> well, exactly, yes. Yeah. So if you get there and see 11 <laughs> changes, are you disappointed? Is that bad? Like, how How would you feel about it?
1: No, like. The circumstances of Villa dropping to second are quite tough because Alkmaar play Leguia like, yeah, and they, they they are chasing them down for second and Villa collapsing at Mustard is probably hard to imagine um, but it's a dead rubber game really for Mustard. but they would want a performance at home against a Premier League team. Um, mm. their, their fans were very excited about the chance to play Villa when they came over. Don't see that changing much at home. Um, I do see a few changes but I don't think it's a case of players having the full time off because i don't think there's days off at villa no i think it is yeah. if quite a demented very rigid we are there is one goal and it's villa now there's no waking up you know having the training session like to play your xbox it's like villa's villa's your baby villa's your your your, your family so i don't think it's like rest at home we'll all do the job in my start i i think there'll be a few changes but i think you'll see maybe because uh, Luiz is suspended, I think you might see him play just to keep the the levels up. The defense might change entirely. You know, you yeah, might bring mm. Langley Chambers in. There's in, in terms of playing the, the the youth players, it's very difficult because of the way the registration's set up. Because I don't, think yeah. Irobinum, for example, or Kellyman qualify for that, so it, it's difficult. But I think, yeah, you're not, you're not going to see
0: the kids play. You're not going to see a team of kids.
1: No, you you'd see Zaniolo, Duran. Martin. Yes, like yeah. Yeah, you're still gonna see like a very solid villa team. I think. I don't think it's not gonna be entirely changed at all.
0: And is that enough to do the job, do you think?
1: Yeah, I think the the weather over there, it seems fine. It's not gonna I think a lot of people have the imagine it's gonna be snowing and like like Moscow, like really freezing horrible. But I think it'll be mostly okay. Uh I think the most realistic expectation is probably a draw. If I'm honest. Mm. Um, I do want Villa to win, but it's a way, it's a fairly long trip. It's been a hectic schedule. Must have been probably be well up for it. Yeah. I think I think a draw is fair and I think that's fine. Um there's there's enough quality in the team to win. But a few changes probably do disrupt that, if I'm honest.
0: Yeah, I, I, I'm still backing us to win, regardless yeah. of the, the rotation. I think I get that it's a, a potential banana skin and all that kind of thing. But um, like you say, it's a, it's a it's a dead rubber to an extent, because I think Villa will still get enough to, to finish and, and top the group, uh, regardless of how they do it. And uh, as much as we will be doing a post-match show for that on Thursday evening, it's a 5.45 kick-off in the UK. Um, so we'll be live at 8pm or, or whatever. However Villa get the job done, I don't care. As long as I top the group, I'm happy with it. If it's a, a scrappy 1 1 or we win 1 0 or whatever it is, I'm, I'm not going to read too much into the performance levels and who plays and, and that kind of thing. It's just about topping the group if you can, which I think, you know, if, if Villa rotates, Zaniolo, Moreno, Ramsey, Duran, Dendonka, those kind of players, like to get them Moreno, Ramsey some fitness, that kind of thing more than good enough to go to Mostar and win, however much they're up for it and whatever. The the golfing quality should still be pretty clear. So I'm backing Villa to win. And if not, at the worst case scenario, we draw. I don't think we go there and lose. So Villa should be topping the group and and that's that. I was just about to do the outro, but I've glanced down at my little whiteboard that I've got in front of me, which I normally make notes on for things to talk about. And I've not looked at it until an hour into this recording. But there's two things I want to mention very quickly. Uh, Everyone's favourite segment of the show. Here's something I saw this week and just wanted to talk about uh, where we get a chance to talk about anything else away from Aston Villa even. I just wanted to very quickly mention, just because I, I replied on Twitter, but I want to like say it to the, the podcast audience as well. Uh, somebody asked us about filming in person I asked for iTunes reviews over the last couple of episodes and I'll ask again if you can go over to iTunes or Apple Podcasts I think it is now and leave us a five star review and a little comment that really helps us uh, spread the podcast to a, a new audience so I'm told and since I've said that we've had uh, 10 or 12 new uh, iTunes reviews this week so thank you for, for doing that if you have uh, I asked this on Twitter can you go and do, do a review and somebody replied uh, Nick he said Dan don't take this the wrong way but I think the podcast needs to go up a notch somehow it's a bit Teams conference call, uh, the Square Ball, which uh, leads podcast, I think, is a great example of how a modern football podcast should be. More people, higher production values, regular features, etc. You and Matt are both great and talk well, so please don't take this as a complete negative. I just think there's a gap in the market. Something somebody can fill that to become the absolute go po- go to podcast for all Villa fans. I replied to Nick and I felt I replied in a a fair way that it's just impossible. (laughs) It's just impossible for us not to do them like this over the platform we use is called StreamYard. This is the only way we can do things. We've, We've done it since the lockdown of 2020 and we've obviously grown the podcast since then, so it's clearly working to an extent. But I fully agree with what Nick says about better production values and different guests and features and stuff like that. I would absolutely love to be doing that kind of thing more. Last year, at the back end of last season, we met up at hockey social club probably once every three or four weeks and we'd film three or four videos in bulk on the same day. and we'd spread those out over the course of a couple of weeks just to have this normal stream yard set up. but every week we'd have like a a video go out that we filmed in person. Uh, or John came to my house one of the weeks and we did it here and we did I think we did four videos in one day that came out like once a week over the course of a month. We want to do stuff like that more because we want to make the effort to do it. But meeting up once a month to do that is difficult we've all got our own lives like as much as the podcast is part of our day job we've also got loads of other responsibilities that po- the podcast isn't full-time for us but matt is extremely busy with much higher things uh, in terms of job uh, specification than doing a podcast john writes an incredible amount of, of villa content on a daily basis that he's working on days off and stuff so getting him even for a couple of hours a week on a stream yard like this is tough so to film in person every week is impossible like the man city and arsenal podcasts we were doing at 9pm and midnight we're never going to film those if we do it in person we just wouldn't do it or we do it the next day and it doesn't have the same impact so it's a necessity that we have to do things like this um but we will make a more a, a more conscious effort to get together in person and film like i said even if it's once a month and we can spread those videos out a little bit we will do that i do not want to i do not want this section to come across as uh a dig out to Nick going, oh, no, no, Nick, you're wrong. I just, I had this same reply to him on Twitter in 140 words, which is difficult. And I wanted to also say the same thing to people watching or listening that, yes, we'd love to up the production quality more and do it in person and things like that. But it's it's a necessity that we do 90% of our, our podcasts in this manner. And, you know, we do our best to make it look as good on screen as we can or have good microphones and, and whatnot. Um, but, yeah, it's just, this is how it is, sadly. Uh, one final thing, James, so I've just done a lot of talking. I wanna hand over to you to do a little almost tribute to Benjamin Zephaniah. I know that you wrote about him this week who sadly passed away um at the back end of last week. It was a great tribute to him at Villa Park for was it the Arsenal game or the Man City game? It was Arsenal, I think wasn't yeah, it. Yeah, it was Arsenal. Played, played the video on the big screen, there was whole ends in the sky and a big round of applause. Do you just want to gather a, a couple of minutes to um to say your piece on him as well?
1: Yeah, he was a and you know, a legend, really. And I don't think that's that's overstating the, 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 the mark the, the makeup of the man he uh, he always put his kind of thoughts and beliefs very central to the, the person he was, they were always in his writing and you know going back I remember one of the first things I remember reading was the, the very kind of silly kids poem Talking Turkeys which is very f- kind of leans into comedy a lot, leans into a lot of personal humour a lot and it is silly um, but there's a, like a serious message at the heart of it which is you know things there's, to, to what you eat there's like feelings so, you know I, I still eat chicken and turkey and meat so I can't you know preach about this too much but there was a very central serious message to that as with most of his work you know um, at school we grew up reading face you know around the class in, in English um, we had these poems in, in, in exams Zeph and I usually visited schools. Um, There's a few people who are a Mm -hmm. bit older than me in the year groups above me who who would have met him personally at schools. Um, He was at my university a lot and he was obviously a massive Aston Villa fan. I think what, what brings him to Villa, like what I really like about him as a Villa fan is that it wasn't his entire personality, you know, but yet he would still be the biggest Villa fan you knew because of the way he could speak about it real off the facts, you know, he wasn't, he, he was a person first. Villa fan second, but it was so central to his being. But it wasn't very it didn't come out a lot. But when it did come out, it was like a firework. The way he spoke about the West Brom video they played is incredible. You know, the story he relates is a story that every everyone can kind of like emphasize with, like being Mm. torn between two clubs on a boundary. In in Handsworth, when I used to grow up and knock around on the the Soho Road with my girlfriend at the time, we went to the library. They wouldn't stop handing you zephaniah stuff the way they spoke about the man and i think you know there needs to be statues of that bloke in birmingham because he's he's probably you know bar Ozzy osborne and a few of us. he's probably birmingham's best export to the world you know a man who could bring around those serious messages in both a serious and silly way to get to mm. an audience. to reach across to audiences you know to reach across prejudice and audiences he wouldn't normally speak to i think is is a lesson for us all
0: yeah, a, a lovely tribute, James, and our thoughts for everyone at the podcast and, and Villa fans who go out to his uh, family and friends at a really horrible time. James, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast today. We'll uh, end with a very quick outro just to um, say thank you for everyone for your support over the last couple of weeks. Uh, our numbers on and people tuning in on a weekly basis is, is brilliant to see, so thank you for that. Uh, I've really enjoyed uh, doing this podcast today, but uh, quite a sombre note to end on, so uh, thank you very much everyone for watching this one. We'll be back on Thursday with a post-match reaction for Zrinczy Mostar, um, so We'll see you all then. Cheers, everyone.